0: Hey guys, it's Kat. We left things off in episode 6, having come to the conclusion that all progress rests on the individual. All progress rests on you and me. Or so I believed. And then I launched this fundraising campaign to build a clean water well with Charity Water. Which... Is still going, by the way. If you'd like to participate, head on over to our website and go to the show notes page for episode number six. Hit the green button that says do something good. If you donate $10 to the campaign, you get to decide who I'm interviewing next on the podcast and what questions you want them to speak to while they're on the show. Basically, if you donate, I'll be spending the next however many days running around trying to get the attention of the people you want to hear from and asking them the questions you want the answers to. So definitely go do it and share it with your friends because we need all the help we can get. And that leads me to where I've been for the past couple weeks, pouting, because motivating people to take action, IRL, is a lot more difficult than most people would think it should be. This week on the Millennial Innovators podcast. We're talking about what pushes some people to go beyond the status quo. My failure is your gain. So let's get at it, starting in three, two, one. I've heard it said that visibility is one of the greatest influences in empowering people to pursue their dreams and inspiring them to set goals that would otherwise seem unattainable. Throughout my life, I've seen this to be true time and time again. That's why a few years ago, I quit my job working at a fast paced, venture backed technology startup to travel the world telling the stories of a new generation of innovators, makers, creators, and leaders who are taking risks, forging their own paths to success, and shaking up the marketplace in return. Innovation isn't about highlighting the exceptional stories of a few individuals. It's about empowering you to forge a new future path. It's about learning from the experiences, the successes and the failures of our peers. And most of all, it's a place to think through the unconventional strategies that will help all of us get where we're going a little bit faster. It all starts here on the Millennial Innovators podcast. At first I was sad, then I was hurt, then I was downright angry. I launched my charity water campaign in such a screwed up way. I know better, but I threw caution to the wind and went for it anyways. Hugh sigh. I had published the podcast, posted countless things on Instagram and Facebook, was getting tons of likes, but where was the money? My campaign had officially been up for over 48 hours, and there wasn't more than one contribution sitting in the bank. At this rate, I was afraid I wouldn't even push 50 bucks. Later that week, I swung by the Charity Water office to talk with Tyler and Cubby. I spilled my guts about how frustrated I was and about how this whole thing had surprisingly been super disappointing. Worse, I felt like a fraud. The whole reason I started on this journey with Melenovation three years ago was to change the world's perception of my generation and to show people how driven hard-working and gangster millennials could be but now i'm wondering if maybe it's not the tommy Larens of the world who are wrong about us maybe it's me is it possible that the critics were right and maybe i'm the one who just didn't want to see what's been right in front of me I spent the next three days in an apathetic state. Maybe I should just quiet down about all this and get out while I can, unscathed. Tyler and Cubby assured me that the range of emotions I was feeling were pretty normal. Honestly, it felt like I was going through the five stages of grief. Thank God after a week of sulking, I finally snapped myself out of it. On Monday, I thought, wait a second, I can solve this. No problem. Or at the very least, I can figure out what went wrong. That is, after all, what I do for a living, right? It's interesting to note what our actions look like when we do something without intention, without planning, without strategy. Going back and looking at what could have been versus what was kind of makes me want to hit my head against the wall several, several times in a row. But not to worry, I refrained. I definitely made a couple mistakes by launching this campaign so sporadically. I mean, I'm all about carpe diem. Seize the day. But research shows that most people don't often respond to spur-of-the-moment activations the way that we would like to think they will, especially not those who make up the digital generation. Actually, what research does tell us is that seeing someone needs our help isn't enough to inspire us to take action at all. According to the newest book that I'm obsessed with right now, it's called Grit, and it's by Angela Duckworth, who is a brilliant psychologist and winner of many awards. According to several different behavioral and developmental psych studies that Duckworth mentions in Grit, it's only when we realize that our individual, personal action can generate a response or change to a situation, only then are we motivated to make moves IRL. I'm paraphrasing here, but Duckworth explains it in her book like this. First comes the conviction that somebody needs our help, that there's a problem in the world that needs to be solved. But only after a second revelation, the revelation of I personally can make a difference, my Actions can make a difference only after having this second revelation as our conviction transformed into an intent to take action. Basically, in order to empower people to make moves, whether it's motivating people to reduce waste, encourage recycling, participating in my spontaneous charity water campaign, or even showing up for a big event like the recent Women's March, we have to make them truly believe that their actions will not be in vain, which is where our conversation actually picks back up sitting in my living room with my roommate, confidant, occasional life coach, and always friend, Chanel Perez. Chanel and I had just taken part in the NYC Women's March, and our heads were reeling from thinking about what our participation that day really meant. Personally, this was my first time participating in a protest, especially one of this magnitude, and it left me with a lot of conflicting thoughts on the changing view and role of citizenship today which had me pondering one big gaping question. What real capacity do I have to make a difference? And if I am to have any chance at affecting real change, whether in my government, community, or in our global society today, then how?
1: That was my first major march, aka protest, to be a part of the Women's March. It was good to be around so many people who are passionate about the same things and had the same concerns as I do. And it was peaceful, which was great, because I know a lot of things had been happening last night after the inauguration that had people a little bit concerned about the safety of what was going to happen in these major cities. But all in all, it was great. You noticed this, too. It was a little bit of an older crowd that we were marching with, and it just felt great.
0: Yeah, it was cool. It was interesting. We were talking to somebody at the march and they were like... Yeah, we weren't sure that like millennials were going to show up because like we're these kind of people who sit on our phone and like, you know, talk about it instead of be about it, talk about it instead of be about it. And, you know, there were these women major activists from big women's movement back in like the 60s and 70s who I guess are kind of like spearheading the organization of today's events. Yeah, they're saying that, you know, they think this is really cool because for the first time this generation might be seeing that it's not you actually have to like be vocal,
1: make yourself heard be visible.
0: With your body, yeah. Protest isn't just a verbal thing. It's a bodily action of showing up, being there. It's
1: more than hashtag activism now. I think maybe because Donald Trump is now the president, that really fueled the fire for a lot of people. Even one of my friends, I was reading his Facebook post. He's a good friend of mine at work, and he was torn with, should I be attending this march tomorrow? He was a little bit conflicted. He said, woke up this morning conflicted. I supported the women's march on New York City with every ounce of my body, but for every reason wasn't going to go. But then, as we were watching the women in D.C. on TV, I thought, why am I not doing something? So I got my ass up off the couch and got ready. (laughs) It's time to march because I am you and you are me and we are in this together. So I think, yeah, a lot of people, maybe millennials, were just kind of waiting it out and then the reality sunk in that, Wait, this is this is what we have to do. Let's do it.
0: It's weird. It almost feels like it's go time, you know, like now that this is real. Yeah, because you're, you're
1: watching reality and you're just like, I never thought it would get to this point.
0: And here we are. Yeah. You work in a pretty like upbeat on office. Mm-hmm. What was it like there?
1: They had a room playing the inauguration, which was optional to go to if you wanted to see it. But it's hard to like just boycott a moment like that when you have to be very vigilant. Like you have to, yeah, you need to be informed. I think it's more important than ever these days. Before we still had Obama. And then now that the change has happened, we're like, oh, we're activated. Like we gotta go. We gotta hit the ground running. We have to march. We have to speak up. Call our congresswomen, congressmen. If something happens, we see on the news, how can we be of change? We can't just sit about and tweet about it Because that's cool to get eyeballs on what's going on, but how do we actually change it?
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of times when you sit behind the computer and you're like, oh, I, I got all this attention for this thing I said, but it didn't make any impact in the policy. I think then like you feel this sense of discouragement, right? Yeah. And like you all of a sudden do feel very much like, oh, I'm just this person. Like I really don't have any influence on the situation. But the reality is like this is a democracy and influence is in our physical you like, have activism to activism is a physical thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a physical action.
1: 100%. And I think as we can see, <laughs> our democracy is still... Still based on this very old structure, right? So even though social media is here and you're able to like spread news, make people aware of things, the way that the democracy was built, it wasn't built at the time of social media. So it can't handle, like it doesn't function because of that. It's not there yet. Writing on a news stories Facebook page that you disagree with something is not going to make a change in any way, shape, or form, right? You're going to have to pick up the phone and call your congressman. You're going to have to write a letter because that's unfortunately the way it works. Even if you tweet them, you can tweet Trump he's not going to do something because of your tweet. Like, you have to make moves at the local level to make any kind of change.
0: Yeah, you have to show the person who you put in office that, like, you are serious. Yeah. And, like, that you want something. That's why they're there. That's why these senators are there. That's why these representatives are there. It's, like, basically people that work for the government,
1: they're already so
0: understaffed as it
1: is, right? So it's, like, the amount and volume of things that come in via their Facebook page or their Twitter. What can they actually do we create something yeah maybe we should I don't know what that is is that yeah is it a system of some kind
0: like an app possibly what if it's like a chat app? A bot. <laughs> yeah, like a bot that automatically categorizes what the issue is issue is of topic and like what your stance is. And then it almost like if it categorizes you in these places, it almost files it. And then you see by volume, right? Because that's really what makes them.
1: Yeah. Measures yes the issue. No. Yeah. yeah. Did we just have a genius it idea? Is. Yes, we
0: should make a bot for <laughs> the local yeah.
1: representatives.
0: I've never been so vocally political about things on social media as I was this year. Mm -hmm. I think, number one, I felt like I could a little bit more because I'm up here and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are very vocal.
1: Right. And the Deep South definitely has different views than Brooklyn, yeah.
0: And it's also, like, it's impolite to talk about those things, right? Mm. But in New York, you just have to learn to adapt and you have to learn to stand next to all different people and disagree with people and then get on the subway with them and ride with your armpit in their face for an hour. You know, it's like, because, like, Literally, we all have to coexist and cohabitate here.
1: All different people.
0: But I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, I wonder if people in college right now feel the same way that I felt back then and feel like they can't be super vocal about their opinions. Yeah, I wonder if that just
1: is because of the area that you were in. In college was when Obama, when he first got elected, right? I was talking to you about this last night, but like me and he came to our school and we went to... um one of his events that he was speaking at and we took pictures and we were like so about it but I think as I got older and now I'm more of an adult here in New York like I realized this election cycle there was more at risk than back then right we have this man who like doesn't believe in climate change and like vocally discredits the press and speaks out against minorities. So like this felt more real and there was more on the line. So it's hard to compare like
0: what if this election was when we were in college? Would we have been more vocal? Yeah. You were a journalism major? Mm Mm-hmm. I think this freedom of the press thing is something that like a lot of people don't understand. And even I, I think at the beginning I... I was like a little judgmental about it too.
1: Obviously, the media has a bad rap. There's a lot of things that are happening right now. People are like, the, the media, media is not biased perfect. and yada yada yada. But when you go through journalism school, like you all have to take like these, you have these mandatory courses, right? Of those, yeah. it's like ethics, mass com law. Like journalists, real journalists working for a real news outlet, they have to directly quote someone if they put quotes around it that has to be verbatim what they said if it is not they're at risk for so much they could lose their jobs they could be brought to court right their one and only job is to write or communicate the truth if you're like doing editorial stuff that's different but if you're doing news like you have to tell exactly what's being said if you start paying attention to like how things are written everything is like allegedly or sources like you can't say that something is a fact without fact checking. This information is going to get out there. It's up to the public to decide what they believe, but we got this information. So we're sharing it with you and we're not telling you if it's 100% accurate or not. We're telling you we got this information because we got it. I saw this other interesting analogy. Someone asked like how did people let the Holocaust happen? Like there was all
0: these people and they just let it happen. But it's because at the time the press wasn't allowed to report what was happening. What we just talked about with Chanel, the discrediting of free press this happens in countries across the globe it's something that's being exposed to the public eye more and more often today with the help of social networks smartphones and technology so much so that i wonder if maybe we're being desensitized to it this is important without a free press who will the people get information from we need reputable news sources that we can trust and they exist today And as citizens, as citizens who need that free press, I think we have to support them. And the people who don't use Twitter or have access to a computer or know how to use a computer, uh, yeah, the people who depend on things like Fox News and CNN, what are they gonna do? Or how are they supposed to form an educated opinion they can't? I know I chuckle a little bit at the end there, but don't take that as a sign of insincerity. I'm 100% frightened by everything Chanel just said. But honestly, our biggest problem right now as a nation isn't who is in office. The way that I see it, it's a digital and generational information gap. And it's separating and dividing the way that the people who make up this country receive experience and share information. If the press doesn't inform the people, who is going to? Here's the thing I think that Hillary Clinton's campaign didn't do a great job of was they didn't do a good job of reaching the people who weren't already supporting her. I'm sure they focused on, like, the liberal, the Bernie crowd, but I don't think they accounted for the way that targeting and retargeting on social media would interrupt, like, even if they are doing paid advertising, the way it targeting and retargeting works is that it takes into account your preferences based on all of your internet browsing and all of those things. So if I'm reading like the Republican Herald or what, I don't even know if that's a real thing, but whatever, you know, like it's not going to target me and that's fine. But It was a missed opportunity. And also, I think she left an opportunity for her opponent to consistently deliver message to these people in a way that they were receiving them. Like, for me, I've been thinking about it's not even central to him. Like, these are real things that we have to consider all the time in the future from now on because of where technology is and where we are with social media and globally. It's like, how do we reach those people who are on the cusp? There's a digital gap. There's a digital gap. So how do we reach those people and how do we create a bridge to where we can, I'm not saying we have to agree on everything, but like meet in the middle and agree that like certain information is valid and agree that certain things shouldn't be done. And okay, now what are we gonna do about it? We have to find a way to build a bridge now and in the future, if ever the population is gonna organize as a community and come together as a community and support one another harmoniously.
1: Who's that coming from? This uniting of the people. Like, no what brand? If we were to call it that. You're saying the Hillary campaign? No,
0: I mean, I, I, not anymore. You're saying, so she missed that opportunity, but... She could have done it, I think. But who could? I think certainly the next candidate from one party or another... Interestingly enough, I'm not the only one who's been fixated on this idea that all progress rests on the individual, that all progress rests on the citizen. This was a big message I noticed in the language coming from President Obama and his administration throughout the end of his time in the Oval Office. In fact, since becoming a civilian again, President Obama has even launched the Obama Foundation, a living, working startup for citizenship. This is an ongoing project and one that is aimed at bringing people together and mobilizing us all to take a part in shaping what it means to To be a good citizen in the 21st century, I see this as an admirable attempt at engaging people on an individual level to try and shake us out of the feeling that we're too small to do anything about things we see, disagree with. In fact, Obama's pretty much right on target with the research that I've found about what motivates people to go beyond the status quo. Okay. So this is what it says on the website, which you might have read earlier. Your voice. The Obama Foundation is a living, working startup for citizenship, an ongoing project for us to shape together what it means to be a good citizen in the 21st century. Oh, my gosh. Building a bridge between the digital gap. Oh, my God. Maybe you could just do strategy. Maybe this could be my audition tape. (laughs) (laughs) My resume. My audio resume. The foundation is based on the south side of Chicago, and we will have projects all over the city city and the country and the world. To help us get started, we would love to hear from you. Send us your ideas, your hopes, your dreams about what we can achieve together. Tell us about the people who inspire you and the organizations whose work you admire. This will be your foundation just as much as it is ours. And they have a quote, because for all our outward differences, we in fact all share the same proud title, the most important office in a democracy, citizen. Which I think is the biggest thing that I learned. Today. Today. Yeah. At this protest.
1: Even though you have this leader, we actually do have a voice in this country.
0: And we have a responsibility to use it, I think. Yeah. Yeah share an idea, it says. What makes a good citizen? Democracy is all about showing up, diving in, and staying at it. But how? Here at the Obama Foundation, we're just getting started on what good citizenship in the 21st century means. Your thoughts and ideas will make our foundation a better, more powerful force for good. We can't wait to hear what you're thinking. Share your stories with us. Tell us what issues you care about. Let us know what people, organizations, and companies inspire you to be a good citizen. Let's go. I think that's the whole thing that we're talking about is like, first, I think we need to all agree on a definition of of what is a good citizen, right? And then from there, what makes someone like an active, responsible, forward-thinking, positive, participatory citizen? Well, yeah. What do you think? I mean, living in New York,
1: I think that somebody that's embracing of all cultures yeah. and people of different religions and people of different genders. Yep. Sex. All of that.
0: Sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Economic status. Yeah. Class.
1: Someone, yeah, who's open-minded. And I think, and this is rooted in you know, like my faith, but somebody who just loves people, that's what is kind of like the exact same thing, right? And cares about people. And then somebody who is active, somebody who does vote, somebody who is aware of what's going on in their community. I think that's important too.
0: Yeah. For much of my young adult life, I didn't always feel qualified to talk about politics because I know that it's a complex situation. And I was afraid that if I spoke out, I wouldn't be able to accurately explain, communicate, or back up the way that I spoke about all of the pieces fitting into it. The more I learn about the reality of our political situation and the global social political climate currently, the more I realize that the intricate dealings and distribution of power and governance in our world is yes, complex, but yet it is so simple. If we each just did our part and like if we each upheld a responsibility to respect one another and like give opportunity, the next generation equal opportunity. And if we upheld the responsibility to love our planet and to take care of our planet and do whatever we can to reverse issues on our planet. To think about the impacts of the decisions we're making on the individual lives of people before we make those decisions. Like, I I feel like that is being a, you know, like that's being a good citizen of the world and not just a good citizen of the U.S. or a good citizen of New York, right. it's being right. like a global citizen and being yeah. awareness. So it's like, for me, it seems like it's an empathy yeah. for others it's and others an awareness. So
1: I think yeah. others is like the big thing here. Yeah. It's someone who is not centered around oneself. It's, an, it's awareness. It's empathy. It's all of that.
0: You don't have to be qualified to be a good citizen.
1: No. Your what qualifies patient? you?
0: Your qualification should be the ability to listen to yeah. somebody else's experience, understand, feel for them, and help them create a solution.
1: I agree with that. Yeah, what makes a person qualified? This isn't asking, like, for somebody to hold office, like, you have to go to law school or something. No, this is a citizen. It's you, it's me, it's my grandmother, it's the little girl across
0: the street, it's her mom,
1: it's her sister.
0: So then how does that happen in the 21st century?
1: To be a good citizen. Yeah. I know. I think that's something like knowing your community is important. Oftentimes, like, we're so siloed into, like, our routine. We go here, we go there, and we're, like, fighting against the clock to get everything done. But knowing your community, who do you live by? Like, who are the people that are your neighbors, right?
0: What are the things that, yeah, make their daily lives go round? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can't really say I know all of our neighbors. We could be better citizens, Kat.
0: Of the neighborhood, we totally could. Should we start like a neighborhood community? <laughs> I'm sure they have these things yeah. though, right? Like, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm sure there's like something similar in Williamsburg. Maybe it doesn't have to have like a democratic label to it, just like, something having to do with community. (laughs) I'm sure sure there's like a district. Oh, there are 100%. And
0: like community meetings. There has to be. There is. The thing is that like our generation, I don't think we're like super in tune with those things because I think the way that they're publicized, like. Yeah, I get emails. Do you? I don't. Sign up through your congressman.
1: Yeah. So I just got an email. It's like. Come to our monthly meeting. And they do great stuff, but they definitely need to get better at The we, thing is, like we said, government and politics, like, they're understaffed. They don't have somebody doing marketing and strategy for them at the level that we do for these big corporations. Yeah. So it's like, it's a labor of love that they work in that yeah. field. But yeah, our congressmen, they have like meetings and... They talk about things that are affecting the community and that they're concerned about. Like, when I lived in the Heights, like, they'd have meetings about, oh my gosh, like, there's this new immigration reform, like, the president and people are talking about, like, we'll explain how this affects you. And they do these things. They have these meetings, but are they good at targeting them to, like, people that are our age? Like, would we have known about it? If, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure.
0: Like, the way for something like the Obama Foundation to be successful Like they believe like democracy is all about showing up, diving in and staying at it. And their question is, but like, how does that happen in the 21st century and how do we inspire people to get involved and to show up diving in and stay at it? Like, the only way that happens across the country and unites people independent of what their political affiliation is, what their, you know, any sort of preferences, you know, religion, all sorts of things. They have to partner with a variety of different local organizations who do have access to a diverse range of people. So that means partnering with all sorts of local organizations, colleges, like partnering with... I think the mid-20s age range gets like left out a lot because people always focus on like, oh, we'll get the young kids. Yeah, we'll get the families through the schools and then we'll get like the college kids through the universities. And then it's like there's this group of 20-somethings and 30-somethings who are like close to that age but not affiliated with any university or family place.
1: And it's crazy because we're probably the ones that could
0: be the most most active active because we don't have this concern of like have disposable time, Mm -hmm. passion, like income. Sometimes there are places where this age group, this like mid twenties, early thirties age group are starting to like corral around places like WeWork. That's how you reach the people and you have to partner with those organizations to access them. And then you have to create programming and content that's compelling enough to make the people keep coming back to you. So either you're training them on something, you're informing them about something they're not being informed about, or you're giving them content that's, educational valuable inspirational right
1: there's so much potential and it's like i just need help Packaging it up.
0: Yeah. It sounds like what they want to create is almost like, like, did you ever have like a community center? I was thinking that like a rec. But like a digital (laughs) one, right? Like a 21st century community center where people can access all of this information. And maybe there is like a local activation also. Like
1: a library, but cooler. Yeah, the Obama Foundation can tap into this and like really create the precedent for what it looks like to be a
0: global citizen
1: in 2017 and beyond. Yeah, and beyond. Yeah, they can do it. We should join their team too.
0: You can take this as our application. (laughs) It took me a long time to share this episode, mainly because I kept changing my mind on whether or not I wanted to get into this conversation. If you're anything like me, you've had it with politics and bullshit, two things which seem to go hand in hand these days. But the reason I wanted to talk about this wasn't to relive this last campaign season. The reason I wanted to talk about this was to show you how much power you truly have to be heard and to maintain a certain amount of influence and control over your life, liberty, and freedom. This episode isn't about our current administration. It's not about the current president, and it's really not even about American politics. This conversation is about the freedom of the people, untainted by the pressures of political or financial obligation. It's the right to free speech, the right to protest, the right to a fair and equal justice system. All of these are things that our Constitution deems as liberties of the people, and liberty is always in constant danger of being infringed upon. No matter who sits in the Oval Office, what party owns the Senate, who the Speaker of the House is, and so on and so forth. That's because it's not hardship, loss, or suffering that leads to hopelessness. It's suffering you believe you can't control that leads to hopelessness. So that's what I hope that this episode will do here today. Empower you, activate you, inform you, and spark something that will make you want to get engaged and stay engaged. Because your situation, whatever it may be, is not hopeless. Because if we each approach the world and our duty as Global citizens in it with integrity, authenticity, and mutual respect, if we each just did our part, if we each just vowed to uphold respect for one another, to uphold each person's right to equal opportunity, to uphold the condition in which we were handed things, and maintain or improve the condition in which we leave things for the generation that succeeds us, what if? when we made a mess? Because it is inevitable that occasionally we will all falter. What if when we made a mess, we didn't avoid it, but instead proactively submit ourselves to cleaning it up? What if, when faced with insurmountable odds, unaffordable costs, or a seemingly undefeatable foe, what if instead of deflecting responsibility, reneging on commitments, running away in fear, or shying away from our problems, what if our first response was to ask for the help that we need? What if our first response was to Submit ourselves to the goodwill of the community around us, to constant collaboration, whether it be across our neighborhoods, communities, industries, party lines, families, nations, or countries. Because when we stop running away from our weaknesses, when we stop giving in to the anxiety that everyone else will realize, although we appear to be strong, we're actually scared shitless, when we stop giving in to the fear that we'll never produce enough, never have enough, never be enough, and that everyone else will finally see us for what we are lacking. That's when we finally gain the awareness, the understanding, the confidence, and the strength to defeat the thing that we've been running from once and for all.
1: Hey guys, it's Chanel Perez. I live in New York. Kat's my roommate. <laughs> I'm a copywriter at VaynerMedia. The easiest way to connect with me would be any of my social channels, which is at Chanel5Essence. C-H-A-N-E-L 5-E-S-S-E-N-C-E.